next few weeks, I want to talk about, about what it means to be a healthy church. We kind of started it in the last series where we ended up with talking about life groups. And over the next couple of weeks, we'll, we'll touch on that even some more. But I, I put together this series, and, and it's, it's entitled, Not About Us. And that's very intentional on my part. I believe we have a great church. I mean, if you, if you looked at our church from my perspective, I watched the first service come in, and, and, and we shared together, and, and now the second service, and, 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 I, and I'm seeing so many faces and people that I know some of their stories, and I know what God's doing in, in different areas of their lives. And guys, it is flat out exciting to be watching what God is doing. And he will only do what we allow him to to do in our lives. And I, I you know, there, there are some of us that are, that are going through financial things and, and we're watching God move in our lives financially. Some of us, it's relationally. It's all the different areas of our, of, of our, of our lives that God is working and moving. And as we get into September, uh, starting the second week in September, I wanna launch a series with our church that I believe would be an absolute perfect series for us to invite people in our lives. But before we do that, I wanted us to just settle down as a church and let's stop and look at something. Let's stop and look at what it, what it takes for a church to be healthy. Because real, my, my heart's desire for our church family, a church that I care about deeply, that, that, that we are not necessarily the largest church in the area, not, not necessarily the smartest or, or the richest, but my, my, my desire is that we as a church would be a healthy church. And what does that look like? And, and yeah, it means that we're involved in life groups, as Wes was talking about a little bit earlier. We're involved in that. We're applying it in our lives. But there are several other subjects that it means. It means that today we're going to talk about serving, that, that we are actually serving. And it, it, it's, it always amazes me how how really some things can be so simple in our lives, and we make them so difficult. Next week, I actually want to talk about generosity. What does that mean? And, and I, want, I want to look at that. And then, then the, the week after that, I want to talk about the friends and families and the community around us. What is it we're supposed to do with that? As we stop and we look at what does it mean to be a healthy church? With the clear recognition, I think as we finish up this, 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 this message this morning, the clear understanding that the truth of the matter is, it's, it's not about us. If somebody in your life, your wife, your husband, your friends, your family, the people closest to you, if they were to describe you and they were to use the word always, how would they describe your life? If, if someone had to say about you, what, what, so what is he always doing? How does he always act? What do you always see him doing? And it's so easy for us, in a question like that, it's easy for us to think about our husband or our wife. You know, she's, she's always grumpy or he, he's... A, Let's not think about anybody else. Let's all of us apply it to ourselves. Let, let's stop and ask that question. If you were to ask the people in your life, what, what would they say that you're always doing? 
She's always encouraging. He's always griping. He's always moaning, or he's always, he always sighs. We went as a family. Julia wanted, it was her 21st birthday, and she wanted a whole, her friends and family to go see Christopher Robin. And was it last Sunday? So last Sunday, we, we all went, about 20-some of us went, went to the theater to see Christopher Robin. I have a new appreciation for Eeyore. <laughs> I, I love the way he sighs. You, you got to go see the movie. You, you, you will absolutely enjoy it. But will they say, you always find fault or you always find the good in things? What would they say about you if they used that word always? Might they say, he's always working or she's always working out? Or she's always on Instagram. Or always posting selfies. What would they say? And in a culture, our culture, our culture, the thing that I'm finding drift in, especially with social media, is, is we now are a self-promoting culture. We're moving this whole self-centered thing to a whole new arena. I, I googled self-promotion. You would not believe how much stuff comes to you, if you just Google self-promotion, here's a couple. The art, it's now an art, the art of self-promotion. Forbes puts out a thing, it says self-promotion is a skill. So it's a skill and it's an art. Here, here's one, you'll probably like this one. This one, you, this one will fit you. 40 ways to self-promote without being a jerk. How about that? The most common career a teenager wants, 54% Teen, of teenagers want to be a celebrity. How about, how about that for a goal? They want to be a YouTube star. They want to be the GOAT, huh? Huh? Greatest of all times. We think of Muhammad Ali when we hear that. Well, for our generation, they just want to be the goat. They want to be the greatest of all times. See, there's a problem with this. You know what the problem is? Here's what Jesus says. Jesus said, listen, I'm kind of diametrically opposed to that. Now, that's the opposite of what, look what Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. He didn't say, whoever wants to be my disciple needs to be a goat. And then in Matthew 23, 11, the greatest among you will be your servant. He goes on, he says, listen, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. In other words, the economy of my kingdom, God says, don't try and make the economy of my kingdom fit to what you're thinking in your culture. Because remember, I'm the son of God. I wrote the book. I designed it all. It's different than you're thinking, he said. Don't follow your culture. He invites us. He calls us into a life of selfless not a life of selfies. It's okay, take your selfies. But following Christ, he says, deny yourself. This is not 
This is not our nature. Our nature is about us. He's saying, we're going to put that on hold. I'm going to do more with you than you could ever even imagine. As Christ followers, serving is not just something we do. It's an action that reflects who we are. It's also an action that reflects whose we are. We're, ch we're children of God because of Christ. We're part of the family of God because of Christ. We came to him in our brokenness. He's in the process of making us in our greatness. It is an ongoing work he does in our lives. In other words, I'm a servant. I'm a servant. What are you always doing? There's a powerful little verse here in Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 9, there, there's Acts chapter 9 verse 36, Joppa. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tapitha. In Greek, her name was Dorcas. Anybody named Dorcas here this morning? Nobody, huh? Some names stick in cultures, some names don't. And we, we haven't seen too much of, of Dorcas's. She's always doing good and helping the poor. How about that description? She's always doing good and helping the poor. The poor. There's that word always. You might even want to circle it in that verse. She's always doing good and helping the poor. Dorcas. You know, the, the, her name actually means gazelle. And many Bible scholars believe that, that she was a very attractive and, and, and productive woman. And it says she was always doing good and helping the poor. She made clothing for the poor. She helped the widows, her ministry, listen, her ministry, this is just one little verse tucked away in Scripture, but what we know about her is her ministry was so powerful that when she died, God used Peter to raise her from the dead. And just, just God using Peter to raise her from the dead changed the entire spiritual climate of her community. See, we think tasks are so small and minuscule, and they don't matter much. But tasks are a big thing. See, instead of self-promoting, she was selfless. And we think, well, you know, I, I don't know what I can do, James. I'm not a Bible teacher. I can't sing. I, 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 I can't make clothes. I don't. There's so many tasks. We just need to understand how important they are. Jesus made, made real clear this. He did it a couple of times. You know, he, 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 said, he said, when you are giving a glass of water to a child, it's as if you're doing it for me, the Son of God. When you give a child a glass of water, you're giving a child something a child cannot do for itself. And you're supplying a vital need to a child. And you're also shaping the thinking of that child, understanding that, that they need to be helped by an adult. 
It's a foundational part of their, their thought process and their development process in, in different ways, and, and you're a part of that process. So how do we become a faithful servant? How do we do it? I just want to look at three examples real quick in Scripture with you. And the first one is simple. You just bring a lunch. Bring a lunch. That's simple. What do I mean by that? Well, let's look at David. David was, David was a, a hero. David was the king of Israel. David was successful in battle. He was a warrior. When David came back from battle, he was always successful. As a matter of fact, when David came back from battle, the women of the cities would, would, would sing songs in the streets about David. How about that, guys? Huh? Karen is never out in the streets singing songs about me. They, they would sing songs about David, praising David. And David was a hero, started with Goliath, he slew Goliath, and then battle after battle as, as the king of it, and God raised him. But it all started with a lunch. David's dad says to David, David, I want you to, I want you, I need you to do something. And it's not going to seem important to you, but it's important to God because tasks matter. And they're part of a process that God is doing. Look what he says here in 1 Samuel. One day Jesse, that's David's dad, one day Jesse said to David, take this basket of roasted grain and these 10 loaves and bread and, and carry them quickly to your brothers and see how your brothers are getting along and, and bring back the report on how they are doing. This is important, David. It doesn't seem like much to you, but I need this done and God needs this done. You might think it's a small task, but as you look at David's life, Time after time, situation after situation, we see that David does everything with a grateful heart and a willing heart. Bring a lunch. Nothing hard there. How about this? Offer a ride. Offer a ride. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He said, guys, I'm going to need a donkey. You need to secure a donkey for me. When Jesus makes something clear to us. When, he, when we understand clearly from him that there's something he wants us to do, we need to do it. You know why? Because he sees the whole picture. He knows everything he is doing. And when, when we are obedient in doing what he asks us to do, we're a part of the process that he is doing. It's not mystical, it's not hope, it's not pie in the sky. This, this is what life is like following Christ. He says to his disciples, you need to secure a donkey. Do you know why? Because 553 years before that moment, the prophet Zechariah prophesied and said that a king will ride into the city on a donkey. Jesus knows all this. He turns to them. You need to secure a donkey. And in Luke 19, he says, if anyone asks you why you are untying it, he tells them where this donkey is, where they should go, get, go, go to pick it up and, and bring it back to him. And they do it. If anyone asks you why you're untying it, say, the Lord needs it. Simple. All they have to do is be obedient. It's in Matthew, Luke 19, it's in Matthew 21, it's also in John 12, the same story. And the guy who owns the donkey 
when they go to take the donkey, well, where are you taking that thing? The Lord needs it. Okay, okay, take the donkey. We don't know a whole lot about the guy who owns the donkey. He might have had a donkey limousine service, and this is just one of them that was sitting there. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that this donkey had never been ridden. So he could have said to the disciples, you know what? This one's got low mileage. This is going to cost you a little extra, you know? We don't know anything else. We just know that the guy was willing and said, go ahead. And by offering that, he made, a, he made a way for Jesus to ride into the city, fulfilling 553 years of prophecy by Zechariah earlier than that. And the Bible says when they brought him the donkey, some of them put their cloaks on the donkey, and, and Jesus sat on the donkey, and some of them actually laid their coats down for the donkey to walk on. And as he walking into the city, everyone everywhere was waving palms. And this was a historic moment as Jesus is coming into the city on a donkey, fulfilling biblical prophecy. And it all happened because the guy was willing to say yes. Take my donkey. He offered a ride. The next one would be grabbing a towel. Grab a towel. Let, let's look at another story with Jesus because this was right before Passover. And Jesus is making clear to his disciples. He's about to tell them that he's, he, he's about to do what he was brought here to do. He's about to have the weight of the world on his shoulders. He, he's about to go through more pain and grief than anyone could ever imagine. And an argument breaks out with the disciples. And they're arguing about who's going to be the goat. Who's going to be the greatest and they're talking amongst themselves. And, and John probably says, now, now, now this isn't verbatim, and I'm not, I'm not giving you the Scripture verse, but, but listen, we've read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We've read these accounts, and, and this is probably how it went down. Maybe. You've got to know that John was probably saying, well, I'm the greatest. I'm, I'm the greatest because we all know that I'm the one that Jesus loved. You see, Jesus got the 12 together and he mentored them for almost three years. And, he, and he, he took them from where they began to follow him. And he took them all the way through a place of, place of maturing and learning about God and growing in their relationship with Christ and, and getting to the place where he was actually, at the end, he actually turned to them and said, and he talked about drinking his blood and eating his flesh. He took them from there, from, from following Christ all the way to that point in commitment. And, and, and this 12, he, he grew close to them, and, and he taught them, and he raised them. But, but, but we all kind of know in reading through the Gospels that Jesus kind of spent more time with three of them than all the rest, Peter, James, and John. And we know that even with those three, Jesus actually seemed to have more of a closeness with John. And John wrote about this. See, John in his gospel writes of himself in the third person. And when he refers to himself in the story, he actually more than once write, writes in there, John, the one Jesus loved, the disciple Jesus loved. You got to know this had to irk Peter. Peter probably stepped up and said, listen, I'm the, I should be the greatest. 
you guys remember when Jesus, we were out on, in the boat and Jesus walked across the water. And I said hi to him and he said hi back and I said, can, he said, can I come? And he said, sure, come. And Peter got out and walked on the water to Jesus. James and John probably at this point said, Peter, but you sank. Peter probably turned back to them and said, yeah, but you sat in the boat. I walked on water. So who's the greatest? And, and, and probably about this time, Bartholomew probably opened up his mouth and said, you know what? I, I, what about me? I think I should be the greatest disciple. I bet you Peter and James and John turned around to Bartholomew and said, we didn't even know you were a disciple. See, the Bible tells us they were arguing about who is going to be the greatest. They're having this whole discussion. And then there's the next scene, Jesus is sitting at the table knowing, knowing that he did not come to be served. Their whole discussion and argument is about who's going to be the greatest. And Jesus knows in Matthew 23, 11, he knows he did not come to be served. Look at John 13, verses 4 and 5. So Jesus got up from the meal, and he took off his outer clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash their feet. We, we've been in church, some of us, a long time. We know this story. I don't think we really know this story. You see, it was customarily in this time to say to your friend who was coming from any distance at all to your house, can, can I get you a drink? Can we, can we wash your feet? We live in Arizona. We probably can understand this. Imagine Phoenix with no roads, just pathways, no sidewalks, and everywhere you went, you had sandals on and you walked in dirt. Anyone coming to your house from any kind of a distance at all would have dirty feet. But when you came to someone's house, your natural response would be, can we wash your feet? Can I offer you something to drink? But that was only if you had servants. People would not wash one another's feet on the same level. Only servants would do that. And Jesus puts on this servant's uniform. He puts a towel around his waist. Their natural response would be, no, not you, and especially not to me. He takes on the role of a servant, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the son of God takes on a role as servants. See, he stops and he looks around the room, and you know what he sees? He sees proud hearts and dirty feet. That's what he sees. 
the light of the world, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the creator of the universe, the Son of God, the bread of life. He's our high priest. He's the Lamb of God. He's the Lord of lords. He's the first and the last. They, they don't come greater than the Son of God. He is our Redeemer. And he puts on a servant's outfit and he washes his disciples' feet. That is such a big deal. And he sends them such a clear message because Jesus knew, Matthew 23, 11, Jesus knew that the greatest among you is never a self-promoter. The greatest among you is a servant. The economy of God is so different than the way we view things and the way we look at things. Jesus says, how do you become great? You, you bring a lunch. You give a ride. You grab a towel. You greet people at the door. You do sound in the sound booth. You usher people to a seat. You work on a video team. You serve coffee in the cafe. You, you work in the lighting, on lighting in the You put out signs on the street corners so that the community will, will have the opportunity to come inside and see what his family is like. Or you sing. Or you play. Or you hold a baby in the nursery. And you give a child a glass of water. Or you become a part of a team that sets up stuff every weekend in the gymnasium and in the 200 building. Every task is a ministry. To be a healthy church, we recognize. We recognize that it's not about us. How about instead of selfies, we did surveys? What, what does that mean? Well, instead of taking the picture of you, it's okay if you do it. You're not going to hell. It's okay. It's not a big sin or something. But instead of taking a picture of you on every Sunday, you, you actually take maybe three pictures of different people serving on campus, and you post them. Could you, could you just imagine the tide rising in social media about serving, about serving at Camelback, which simply means doing the things Jesus asks us to do. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells a whole other story. He says, there's going to be a day. There's going to be a day at the end of time and in this day at the end of time, all the people will be in front of me. Everyone will be in front of me. All of them, he says. And then in verse 33, look what he says. In verse 33, he says, he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. He separates them. He'll put the sheep on his right, the goats on his left. And he'll say to the goats, I'm sorry. We don't really know each other. 
I, I don't know you, and you really don't know me. And he'll put them on one side. And then he'll turn to the sheep. This is what he's going to say to the sheep. He'll say, listen, welcome into my kingdom. Welcome into my kingdom. I, I've made my kingdom for you. And I just, I just want to say thank you. The king will say this to the sheep, which is, which is the followers of Christ. I just want to say thank you. Look what he says in verse 35. He continues it. He says, because I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I needed clothes and you closed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And he says, and you'll stop and say, Lord, when did we do all of that? Then he goes on in verse 40, and he says this. The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did to the least of these, my brothers and my sisters of mine, you did it to me. Serving, we think of it as a little task. He's saying, when you serve others, it's as if you're serving me. Serving isn't something we do. Being a servant is who we are. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if we were always offering a ride? If we were always, always bringing a lunch or grabbing a towel or holding a baby in the nursery, or giving a child a glass of water, or greeting at the door, or in the sound booth, or in the cafe serving coffee, or cleaning up after an event, or in students' ministry. What if those around you would say, yep, my mom is always in the nursery taking care of the babies. My dad is always serving in, in video. My, 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 my brother is always with the students or in children's ministry or with our prayer team before services or my parents host a life group or I host a life group. And Jesus makes it so clear that when I serve others, I'm serving Christ. And here is my closing. My honest, simple suggestion. When you came in, this was on the chair. Maybe you're sitting on it. Maybe that's what feels uncomfortable this morning. I'd encourage you to grab it. As Christ's followers, here, here's, here's my honest suggestion, and I'm just going to close with it. My honest suggestion is that you find a place to serve here at Camelback. Because for us to continue, and listen, our church is pretty healthy. The more of us that are serving, the healthier we are. Because we are, when we serve others, we are serving Christ himself. 
And I know so many of you this morning, you're, you're already engaged, you're already involved in serving here. Some of you serve once a month, and you may want to bump it up to two times a month. Some of you are not serving at all. This is a great opportunity for God to not only serve him, but live in the benefits of serving him and watch the things that he does in your heart and in your life because we together are serving. Stand with me this morning. Church, this is a big deal. It is such a big deal. What I believe makes it even bigger than we realize is the fact that it's not difficult to do. It's easy. And I know, some of us are thinking, well, you know what, I'm retired and I, 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 I've done my stint in serving at the church, or I think, I think I'm too old to be, listen, if you're sucking air, God has a plan and a purpose still for your life. And there is no such thing as too young. We are God's family. We are called. We're his followers. We are unbelievably privileged in that alone. Let me pray with you. Father, thank you. Lord, bless our church family. Father, thank you for the willingness for so many here in our church family that serve every single week or serve at different points during the month. And everything happens on our campus because of that willingness. But we look forward, God. We look forward to the things that you want to accomplish through our lives with other people because it is not about us. But in doing so, we recognize how even in that process, you change us. We look forward to the great things that you will do and are so thankful for so many things that are going on in the hearts and lives of our church family. In your name we pray. Let me just stop here for a second. With every head bowed, every eye closed. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, I just want to stop here and give you the opportunity to do that. In other words, you recognize that Jesus is the Son of God. He came to earth as a baby, and he lived and he died. He was crucified. He rose from the dead to pay for your sins and for my sins. And just by recognizing that and believing that, you automatically become a part of his family. And if you're doing that this morning, all you have to do, just, just every head bowed, every eye closed, just slip your hand up and put it right down. Let me pray for you in closing. Yes, I see that. Yes. Father, thank you for the hands that went up. Your word says that all of heaven celebrates when one child of yours comes home. And Lord, we know that stepping across the line Accepting you as our Savior means life forever after we leave this planet with you and with your family. It also means life here with you and your family. Bless our church family as we leave here this morning as we just are eager, Father, to move even further down the process of following you and in the area of serving. In your name we pray and everyone said, amen.